News. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. I don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. This is Optimus Primer Button. Leader of the auto part junkies. And I'm calling on all auto parts junkies to listen to nostalgic radio and cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Here on Tan Talk. This is Optimus Primer Button. If you don't tune in, it will be the end of the world. Hey, this is Ted Nugent. Hi, this is Jay Leno. Hi, everybody. This is David Hobbs. Hi, this is Bob Parshall. Hi, I'm Barry McGuire. Hey, this is Danny the Count Coker. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver, Adam Carolla. Hi, this is Shirley Cha-Cha Muldowney. Hi, this is Robert Yates. Hey, this is Lou Santiago. I'm John Forrest. Hey, this is Jack Roush. Hello, Florida. I'm Ken Squire. Hi, this is Etzel Ford. Hi, I'm Corky Coker. Hey, this is Dennis Gage. Hi, this is Sam Amolo. Hi, this is Janet Guthrie. Hi, I'm Bruce Cohn. Hi, I'm Bob Lutz. Hi, this is Dave McClellan. Hey, this is Tammy Edelbrock. Hi, this is Norm Kravowski. Hey, I'm Dave Despain. Hey, this is Wayne Carini. This is Bill Warner. Hey, I'm Steve Bignotti. This is Kevin Bird. This is Arlen Ness. This is Ed Justice Jr. Hi, I'm Casey Jones. Hi, I'm Paul Kelly. I'm Richard Hutchins. Hi, this is Danny Sullivan. Hi, I'm Bob Bondron. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Strange. This is Daryl Starbird. Hi, this is Ford Hickok. Hi, this is Ed Eskandarian here. This is Robin Miller. Hey, Sports fans, it's Peter Brock here. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727 501 9090. That's 727 501 9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727 501 9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Ghana, Ms. Vito's expertise is in general automotive knowledge. It is in this area that her testimony will be applicable. Now, if Mr. Trotter wishes to voir dire a witness as to the extent of her expertise in this area, I'm sure he's going to be more than satisfied. Okay. All right. All right. Now, uh, Ms. Vito, being an expert on general automotive knowledge... Can you tell me, what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a four-barrel carburetor? It's a bullshit question. 
Does that mean that you can't answer it? It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. Your Honor, I move to disqualify Ms. Vito as an expert witness. Can you answer the question? No. It is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However... In 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. Well, oh, she's acceptable, Your Honor. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hi, I'm Bob Bondurant. I won the World Manufacturers Championship in the Ford Cobras in 1965. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can visit our website and go to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, our podcast page. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and Gulfstream Motorsports. Good evening, Bobby. How are you doing tonight? Greetings from the epicenter of all things American rhythm and blues rock and roll barbecue celebration to you, Robert. <laughs> you changed your voice, Bob. He says it so well. He says it so well. He does. Yeah, after this special 4th of July weekend, we had a lot of fun. A lot of fireworks. Anyway, hey, we got a pretty good show for you tonight. we got a very, very interesting guest coming on a little bit later. And uh, let's see, where do I want to go? we got some shows coming up. Let's see. Let's talk about some of the events that are going on here. We got uh, something that's kind of cool. It's called the Key West Power Cruise, and that starts tomorrow, the eighth, and goes through the twelfth. And uh, Bobby, help me out here a little bit. You kind of brought this to my attention. This show, let's see, it starts in Lake City, then it goes all the way down to Key West. Is Murata first? Yeah, it stops at uh, a couple of places on the way down. It's like a, uh, it's limited to one hundred vehicles. It's a cruise, right? Basically, exactly. And it says there's a A five-day, fun-filled tour that includes four car shows, awards, prizes, car parades, cruises, beach parties, and other group events. That sounds registration's already closed, but apparently, I guess you can go down there and still watch it for free. Well, that works out real good. I like that. That sounds kind of cool, you know. It's uh, it's such a shame here in Florida that in the summertime it is so humid, and it really, as much as we all want to, you know, take the liberties and drive our cars all weekend long and during the week and so on. You know, during normal daytime hours, it is so humid. It's just really, 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 really hard on you. Hard on the cars, too. Because not only do you sweat, the cars sweat. Eventually start rusting. It's an unfortunate thing. If you're out west, up north, you know, where you got nice, great climate and it's dry, it's a lot of fun. But anyway, nonetheless, there's still stuff going on in Florida, and that's a good thing. Also, don't forget, every weekend, and Orlando is the Old Town Cruise. Um, what else is going on? We've got some national events taking place. Let's see. We've got the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix. That's July 10th. That's this weekend. July 16th in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, is the Hawk with Brian Redman. Now, that is a very, very well-known, uh, long-time ongoing vintage car race that takes place up at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin at uh, Road America. That is an amazing track. I was up there 
man, the last time I was up there was 1997. That's hard to believe. That's almost 20 years. And uh, but that's a great, great, great event. All these vintage sure. races, right on. Yeah, all these vintage races are a lot of fun because you really get to see some of the old cars, and they're operated pretty much like they like the old car races were. I mean, you have freedom to walk around the pits and talk to the drivers, and you do have a lot of celebrities still driving cars. In fact, as a matter of fact, we had um, Bobby Unser on last week. And Bobby Unser still goes out in vintage races cars. He might be in an open-wheel car, a former Indy car, a uh, sports racer. He might be in a GT car because he's raced Daytona. He's raced NASCAR. He's raced Pike Peak. We had some donkeys. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's done very well. But, anyway, he's another, you know he's a famous guy that shows up uh, at some of these races. Uh, Brian Redmond's there. You'll run into Bob Bondron. He'll be out there driving vintage race cars. You'll have, uh, let's see who else, name some. I mean, you'll have Vic Elfert. He's out there all the time. Dan Gurney shows up. He might not get behind the wheel too often, but he might do some short stints, rather. Um, you get got a number of well-known race car drivers that have been around since the 60s that uh, that still like to get in the cars and drive, and you got some contemporary ones. So it's a, it's a really cool event. If you get a chance, uh, check out HSR, Historic Sports Racing. Those guys um, put together some great events. They're pretty much here in the eastern part of the United States. SVRA, which is Sports Vintage Racing Association, they do a number of events. In fact, they've kind of slowly gobbled up all the smaller uh, vintage racing organizations and kind of consolidate them. And these racing events take place on some of the finest racing circuits around the country. They could be Daytona. They could be Sebring. They could be Road America. They could be Lime Rock. They'll be in California at uh, Laguna Seca next month in Monterey, the biggie. All right. They could be at uh, Sonoma Raceway, you know, which is formerly Sears Point. Um, too bad Riverside's not around. I'd say Riverside still be going on. Willow Springs, which is out there in the desert in California, Southern Cal. Some amazing racetracks. Uh, Mid-Ohio. Road Atlanta in our own backyard, you know. So there's a lot of racetracks where there's a lot of stuff going on. And these vintage racings are a lot of fun. They really are. Because it's just like a trip down memory lane. And these are rolling pieces of history that you know, yeah, it takes a lot of money to keep these cars on the road, but you know what? You got to hand it to these guys because these guys go out there, drive these cars, and they relive the racing era in those cars. So it's like little time machines running around the racetrack. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Of course, this Friday we've got Biff Burger, and tomorrow, not tomorrow, Thursday we've got uh, our own, in our own backyard here. You got um, uh, da, 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 what's it called? Oh yeah, Quaker Steak and Lube Car Show, right, Bob? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let me tell you about what happened to me yesterday. I had a fun day. Uh, <laughs> I was on my way to, uh, I was cutting a deal with some guy on some parts. I was trading some parts for some tires and wheels for my uh, poor, poor, poor Ford excursion, which looks pretty sad with some, you know, very, very low profile tires on it. So just hasn't been in my budget to buy the big tires that uh, are appropriate for the car, which are, <laughs> which are basically 285 75-16s or 315-75-16s. Okay, that's what's supposed to be on the thing on the width of the wheels that I have. But in stock trim, is 285s. Anyway, so I made a deal with this guy to trade some parts for some wheels. But on my way up to Odessa, or actually Wesley Chapel, uh, my truck decided to act up. Well, the first clue was, is, and I'm sure you guys have all experienced this, and, you know, I'm... A tinkerer. I'm not really a mechanic, but, you know, I've, I've been doing this for so long that I've had so many weird things happen. Plus, I come from the salvage yard, wrecking yard, car business. So I kind of, you know, I've been around a lot of stuff. I kind of know the symptoms. Anyway, so I'm starting to, my radio goes out. That's the first thing. It starts. Yeah, something like that. And uh, and then the next thing what happens is, is my gauges start fluttering. Okay. 
Okay, so I start losing my fuel gauge, I start losing my alt gauge, and I start losing uh, my oil pressure gauge. Boom, they go dead. Okay, so now I'm getting kind of a little concerned because I'm thinking, okay, that means the battery's going dead or something. I'm losing, I'm not, something's not charging. Okay, we're not getting juice. Next thing that happens is both my speedometer and my tack go flat. Okay, so I have absolutely no gauges. Then I have no turn signals. Okay, now my uh, overdrive light is flashing on the uh, stock, on the uh, shifter stock. So I'm thinking, I'm in trouble now. So I call my buddy and I say, hey, I got some problems. I'm heading your direction. Uh, not where I wanted to go first. So I was going to go to the other place, but I'm gonna, I am gonna might need your assistance. Next thing I get down the road. A paying customer. Yeah, I get to the intersection. I'm at Gun Highway and Loose Lake Fern Road out in Olsmar or out in, uh, well, yeah, whatever it is out there towards Odessa. And all of a sudden, the car dies. So I it, I managed to get the car through the intersection and pull over. But this time, my, my good buddy Hank shows up, brings me a battery, throw the battery in the car. We get it uh, started, and I drive it to his house, which is about three miles down the road. So obviously, the first thing you speculate is if we're not charging, uh, we have no power. Uh, if an alternator goes bad, that can generally be the first thing that will kill your car. Because today's cars, in the old days, the car would have kept on running. But today's cars, because they have a computer in them, if there's no juice to the battery or the battery has no juice, there's no juice to anything. And consequently, you know, that's very good because you know, it is Shark Week. <laughs> so, and uh, I think Just it was, was thinking about that. It was like 40 years ago this summer well, when the movie, I think, hit the uh, screen. Right, Bobby? Jaws? You can look that up real quick and uh, throw in a few more of those shark, sharky thingies. But anyway, so... We jerked the alternator off, went down to Advanced Auto Parts, because fortunately I bought it there, and I have a limited lifetime warranty. After a rigmarole there and all this other kind of crap, and I had to have my Bobby, my Bobby, my son, Bobby, uh, text me the copy of their sales receipt. And this is why you need to save your receipts, okay, so proof that you bought something. Because sometimes they drop things in the computer, and you won't have a record of it, and you walk in there with a the part, and they're going to go, well, prove it came from us. Is this you a know. paying customer? Right, exactly. So I was a paying customer. Anyway, long and short of it, I got the all in. We went back. Boom. Got it done. So uh, actually, after we left there, we went and made the, 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 the trade with the parts. I traded the guy uh, some Ford parts and some miscellaneous stuff for the wheels and tires. So anyway, and I will post that on my Facebook page so you can see how corny the truck looked before and how beastie the truck finally looks now. But, you know, it, it doesn't stop there. When it rains, it pours, you know, because then I come to find out that somewhere down the road, the previous owner, who was a friend of mine, because I broke with this car brand new, this my 2004 excursion, which I've owned since 2006, uh, somewhere down the road, he went and bought a cut-rate rotor with short studs on it. So that works fine if you got steel wheels. Somehow I got short studs on there, and there's just not a lot of meat coming through there. Man, comes- those two dicky dopes. Yeah, it, well, as it turns out, the cut-rate Chinese knockoff reproduction rotors put short studs in there, assuming you have steel wheels. If you have aluminum wheels, the studs are a little bit longer so that you get enough coverage when you screw the nut on. Anyway, long and short of it, we got it together. I was going down the road. I leave. It's like 9 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, the truck goes dead again. So Hank has to come fetch me. We switch batteries. We go back and forth and back and forth. And this happened three times. 
And the reason I'm speeding up here is because I didn't realize how late it was. We've got a guest coming on in a few minutes. But anyway, so finally after the third try, we go back to my buddy's house. And the plug that goes into the alternator had never really worked right because it's a reproduction. It's not a Ford one. So the plug doesn't always fit right. Well, my buddy Hank gets up there and he pushes down real hard. And the plug snaps in. Once the plug snaps in, I go down the road. I got a good connection. I was all set. But it still doesn't rule out the fact that the other alternator was bad. Anyway, that's my story for today. Check your connections. Check your plug. Keep your terminals clean. Make sure you got a good charging system because if your charging system doesn't work, guess what? Everything's going to go haywire. And when that computer doesn't work, your car just comes to a stop. And I can say from experience that it stopped. Bobby, let's go ahead and run that song. Let's play a little Eagles here real quick. I think that's what we're going to play. That's what we got queued up on the... Shall we hear Get Over It? Let's get over it. Yeah, that's right. something I'm going to do. I'm just going to get over it and move on, right? Very yeah, appropriate exactly. song. Okay, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Got a little Eagles for you. Get over it. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727 501 9090. That's 727 501 9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727 501 9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. 
This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Up damn Sam, what the hell do you mean you got hanging Judge Harrison? He's not on a take, he's legit. A Roy, you remember that colored kid found guilty for stealing a case of beer? Billy Joe? Billy Joe Washington? Yeah. Well, hanging Judge Harrison gave him 35 years hard labor. Now, look, you need someone who's going to throw the book at this broad. I've paid off all the witnesses, all the experts. I even have her attorney on my payroll. I can win this case, Roy, trust me. Hi, this is Danny Sullivan, 1985, Indianapolis 500 winner, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. New tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is very well known in the legal world as well as the automotive world. He's an attorney, he's an author, a professor, a race car driver, a motorcycle racer, a sailboat racer. He's also chief counsel for SEMA, the Special Equipment Marketing Association. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Russ Dean. Russ, are you there? I'm here. Delighted to be here. How are you this evening? I'm very well. Looking forward to your program. Excellent. Well, I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to having you on the show for a long time because you cover an area that is uh, very, very critical to those of us in the car hobby, in the classic car industries. First off, I'd like to introduce yourself a little bit and then give us a little bit of, about your automotive background, because you're kind of a car guy. Uh, well, actually, I am. I'm, I'm a major car guy. I love racing, been in racing for years. I've got a car collection, uh, so I'm definitely a car guy. Um, I represent uh, SEMA, the Special Equipment Market Association, as you mentioned, uh, as general counsel. In that respect, I uh, deal with all the general law issues, contracts, merger acquisitions, legislative, regulatory type of activity, all the typical types of general counsel activity. Uh, what's what's more interesting, I think, however, is what SEMA does, because SEMA is involved in a tremendous number of activities that I, I'm sure would be interesting uh, to your listeners. Um, one of the biggest things, and I'm sure most of them have seen some parts of this on various television programs, is our SEMA show, which we uh, conduct in Las Vegas each year in November. And as I like to uh, tell people, uh, inside the building, not including all the activities outside where Ken Block's doing drifting and Ford Motor Company's doing all sorts of crazy things with their with their their trucks and whatnot. But inside the building, we have two million square feet of stuff that nobody needs. <laughs> Thankfully, everybody wants. And of course, those who've seen the SEMA show, it's a very exciting show. It, it covers every aspect of high performance from racing to uh, obviously uh, street vehicles, that type of thing. And, uh, and it's probably the best known aspect of, of our activities. However, quite frankly, it's, um, it's only one. And there are a number of things that we're involved in right this minute. Uh, that probably would be of interest in terms of uh, some of our programs. One is we've got some legislation which is being considered right now in the Congress, and what it would do is it would establish essentially a small-volume vehicle manufacturer program. Right now, of course, you know you can go and buy a uh, 
you know, a Lamborghini, Ferrari, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and you can also buy kit cars that sometimes are pretty much parallel to those types of uh, especially supercars. But those cars uh, come at a, at a price, and that is you actually have to put them together yourself. Uh, we're actually sponsoring legislation right now in both the House and the Senate, which would allow uh, people to actually produce these types of vehicles as turnkey cars. So basically the Factory 5 Cobras that you see, would we would actually be able to buy them completed as opposed to having to put them together yourself. Uh, that legislation combines some programs we've been operating in California. It, oper- it includes some activities we have on with, with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and we're very hopeful uh, that legislation will, will, will get through. Um, some other areas I think probably would be of interest uh, involve, for example, the Bonneville Salt Flats, uh, where I actually do race. And uh, uh, fabulous place, fabulous facility. If people haven't been uh, to the Bonneville Salt Flats, Flats during Speed Week, they really owe it to themselves uh, the opportunity to get out and see this. But one of the problems we have is while we've been using the Bonneville Salt Flats since the early 1900s for land speed records, over time it has become um, deteriorated. Uh, we used to measure the save the salt. I'm, I'm sorry, the salt flats in terms of acres, uh, like 90,000 acres. Now it's down to about 30,000 acres. Uh, we used to have a track that would run approximately 13 miles, and we were able to run jets on on that track. Now we're down to eight miles, so we can no longer use jets. And the salt used to be measured in terms of feet, five feet thick here, eight feet thick there. Now it's actually down to inches. And so SEMA has mounted a major campaign to uh, get legislation through the Congress to essentially force the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, to restore the Bonneville Salt Flats to its uh, historic glory. Uh, this is a national landmark, and and it deserves to be protected. Uh, the Bureau of Land Management, which has, jur- has jurisdiction, has done absolutely nothing, nothing of any benefit whatsoever to the Bonneville Salt Flats. And so we're seeking to get the Congress to force them to do what they should be doing anyway. And, um, and again, anybody who can make it out to um, the Bonneville Salt Flats for one of the, the uh, events out there really owes, owes it to themselves to, to do it. Those who've been to a lot of racing programs will not believe what's going on out there. It's truly the last amateur racing program. People out there do not make money off sponsorships. Uh, the uh, creativity of the people who build these cars that do 450 miles an hour uh, with just regular piston engines. Uh, this is it, it's it's a it's a true throwback to where motorsports began. Uh, and and by the way, I'll be going to get my uh, world land speed record back. Uh, you you never own these things. You only rent them for a while, and then someone else decides they want to rent it for a while. Now I've got to go back and get mine back. In any case, it's a wonderful experience, and I encourage people to go out uh, to see one of these programs. Um, let me ask you a question here. Now, what is attributed to the deterioration of the salt flats, and does it go through the same process? Is it a natural thing, or is it, is it the same type of process, let's say, like the uh, dry lakes have gone through as well? Uh, no, it's actually, well, the dry lakes and, and the Bonneville salt flats really 
um, had the same type of, of uh, background. That is, uh, the Bonneville Salt Flats used to be Lake Bonneville, kind of like the Great Salt Lake outside of uh, Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and it evaporated. And what's left is this absolutely pristine, you know, salt surface where you literally uh, can stand and see the curvature of the Earth. It, it's it's that smooth and it's that distant. Um, what's happened is that over the years there have been mining operations there, not traditional mining operations. What they do is they b- dig trenches, and the salt brine, the water that carries the salt, goes into these ditches. It's pumped out. They remove potash from the uh, from the salt, and then the salt doesn't go back to the salt flats. We have now an agreement with the mining operations where they actually return. Uh, salt brine in uh, equal or greater amounts than came off the salt flats in the, in the first place. But the problem is that's sort of a holding pattern. We need to go back and add substantially to the salt uh, that has been lost over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, and that's that's what we're working on. Okay, so basically it is kind of a man-made problem. It has been. It has been. Now, of course, uh, you'll find people in the government uh, who will tell you it's a natural uh, it's a natural deterioration, but if you believe what people in the government tell you, you pretty much deserve what you get. Can I just digress for a second? Certainly. Your thoughts on global warming and dealing with the government. Is it pretty much the same concept, the same issue? You're dealing with people that have no clue versus people that do have an understanding? Uh, actually, that's that's exactly true. Uh, the fact of the matter is is that we can demonstrate where the salt has gone and we can demonstrate how to bring it back. Uh, the Bureau of Land Management, their preference is to conduct studies which last three or four or five years, and at the end of the at the end of the study, uh, they've learned nothing at all, and so nothing ever happens. I mean, with well, it's pretty much a government pro, typical government program. Very little ever happens, and um, and so nothing happens with the Bureau of Land Management. They've done nothing to save this uh, this national landmark. That's most unfortunate. All right, continue on. You were talking a little bit about SEMA. Uh, Right. Well, we have a we have another program uh, where we've created something called SEMA Garage, and it's it'll be a fully functional uh, missions laboratory. Plus, it has a a facility where you can use it uh, to photograph products, things like that. There's a scanning procedure there where we can bring a vehicle in and scan it and provide the information to our manufacturers so they can build parts for new vehicles, for example. Uh, one of the reasons we've done this is that throughout the United States, if you want to manufacture, sell, and actually use emissions-related parts, before you can sell them in the United States, you have to have them uh, approved by the government. And the easiest way, quite frankly, is to do it through the California Air Resources Board. They have a program for EOs, what they refer to as EOs, which are executive orders, which are an approval of a particular product for various applications. And so what we have done is we've worked with the Air Resources Board uh, to create a program where we're assisting the manufacturers in terms of helping them with the design of their products, helping them with the testing programs. We, uh, Of course, they have to be tested on vehicles, so we obtain the vehicles, and we walk them through the process because it's a, it's a typical government program. It's very tedious and very, very difficult to understand. And so many of our manufacturers want to have these uh, these approvals 
but they just have an awful lot of difficulty doing it by themselves. So we have just started in the last year essentially taking over that role for our manufacturers, and we're doing that right now. We have a staff of engineers in California, and, and again, another place, you know, it's worth dropping by. If you're ever in the Diamond Bar area in Los Angeles, you need to drop by the SEMA offices and see not just the SEMA offices, but also the SEMA garage, uh, where we hold a number of functions and various types of cars are there on a regular basis. Jimmy Shine had his truck there for quite some time, and uh, matter of fact, uh, I have a um, a Silver Crown car which I built. We're in the process of completing the build uh, with a an LS3 uh, engine in it. And the purpose of it was to show people how you can build hot rods in California that are street legal. And so we decided to take the extreme example by using a Silver Crown car, and that will be out at the SEMA uh, garage before too terribly long for people to, to see and enjoy. Define for the listeners Silver Crown car in that oh. category. Um, Silver Crown car actually is a sprint car, okay. and in the in not too distant years, of the sprint cars, uh, both uh, asphalt as well as dirt, I prefer dirt, um, the crowning uh, car, the class of cars that were the were the most interesting were called Silver Crowns, okay. and they were run by USAC and obviously a lot of other organizations, but it's a beautiful car. It's a little bit larger than a regular sprint car, not much. You, I mean, literally, you couldn't tell you know, a sprint car from a Silver Crown car if they were you know, side by side. But it gave me a little bit more room to put the engine in and the train. Of course, they don't have transmissions normally, so we had to put a transmission in, and we had to have like a six-inch drive shaft. Um, so uh, we just able to stuff it all in. But again, we and by the way, for those who would like to see it, uh, it was actually in the January, February, and March issues of Circle Track magazine, along with a story of why we built it to show people in California, not just California, but other places, how you can actually build a street-legal hot rod. Uh, in California, there is no way to do this unless you follow the procedure which SEMA has, has established and why we bought this car and why we're, we're writing these articles. That's probably uh, going to make guys like Roy Brizio and Pete Chaporis very, very happy, right? Uh, actually, um yeah, Pete and I have been buddies for oh, almost 40 years, and uh, not only does it help him in terms of being able to build hot rods legally in California, uh, but, but Pete and Roy are also very much interested in the first program we told you about, which is the low-volume manufacture program, because both of them would like to be able to build multiples of hot rods that would be completely in compliance with not just California law, but all federal laws as well. So that would also include not only the emissions, but as far as the safety, crash testing, and stuff like that. Does that bypass any of that stuff, or does it make it exempt? It, it actually it bypasses some of it. What, what we've done is, again, going back to the, uh, the uh, specialty equipment program we have where we built the, the uh, Silver Crown car, that car, you can build a hot rod in California, and put an, and all you need to do is put an approved engine in it. Right now, the only engine that has been approved is the LS3 engine, uh, Corvette engine, and it's called the E-Rod, actually, uh, for emissions. And so if you do that in California, you can build a, a street-legal hot rod. Um, in terms of safety, there is a program where you can, for example, build 
and sell a roller to somebody that is a, a Cobra or whatever you want to do. But if you stick the engine and transmission in it for them, then obviously you you become a manufacturer and you have to you have to comply with other requirements under the uh, under this law we've pr- pr- proposed. It would cover the same type of NHTSA review that currently exists with rollers. That is, there'd be certain parts, like, for example, the, the uh, glass, the headlights, the seat belts, the brake lines, and things like that. But there would be no obligation to conduct uh, any type of crash testing or any of the other types of rollover tests. None of those would be required uh, for these, these cars we're talking about. So if I understand you correctly, then basically you're saying, in, the, in terms of the LS motor, or let's just say a Ford Coyote motor, because that is a contemporary motor, and it does, under normal circumstances, comply with California emission laws, that motor retrofitted basically makes it acceptable. However, if you were taking a vintage motor, it wouldn't apply. Is that, uh, do I understand you correctly? That's, that's correct. The, okay. uh, the, the vintage, to, to build a, essentially, when you build a car today, it is a 2015 car, so okay. it has to with 2015 requirements, unless you comply, with, unless you participate in this program, which SEMA set up, which allows you to build whatever kind of hot rod you want. It could be a Silver Crown like mine. It could be a Cobra. It could be whatever you want it to be. Uh, as a matter of fact, we put the LS3 engine in Peach of Porus's 32 Ford, and <laughs> it was a little difficult stuffing it all in there, but but it, it worked pretty well. And in any case, you as long as you use one of those approved engines. Right now, the only engine that's been approved is the one from General Motors, the LS3. But the, really? we're talking with Ford about getting the Coyote engine uh, approved as well. And it's all that they have to do is just simply go through the, a process with the Air Resources Board to, to demonstrate that the product, when installed in other cars, will still be able to maintain its emissions characteristics. Do you think California laws are a little bit too strict? I mean, do you think they're a little absurd, or do you think they're within reason? Well, I think that I, it depends on the law. I think the laws that apply, for example, to our industry are probably a little bit too strict. Right. Um, and, and let me tell you why. Let me give you an example. There was a fellow uh, by the name of Don Deshaun who used to run the uh, California Air Resources Board facility in, in Southern California, and I used to meet with him in this, in this room that was no windows, but it had this big chart behind me where I sat, and it had these big black bars. And the bars represented hundreds of tons of pollution from various types of sources. And, you know, from whether it's smokestacks or mobile sources, whatever it happened to be. And I'd go in there and I'd say, look, if you guys really are going to regulate our industry, we deserve a bar. And, of course, you can't draw a bar small enough on the chart to represent our potential impact on ambient air quality. Uh, if you look at how many of our hot rods there are, how they're used, how they're maintained, the impact on ambient air quality is negligible. And so as a consequence, they, there's the programs we see both at the EPA level and the Air Resources Board level uh, are overkill in terms of the imposition they p- place on manufacturers and distributors and builders of cars uh, vis-a-vis the impact those cars have on, on air quality. So if I understand you correctly again, what you're saying is, and this gets a little bit into the global warming thing, so it's, it's, it's fair to say that the amount of cars that are running around in the country, the amount of pollutants that they actually put into the air is very, very minute in the big scale of things 
as a result of uh, stuff coming in from from outside sources, whether it's Mother Nature, whether it's major manufacturing uh, pollutants or, or things of that nature. Is Would that be a fair statement? Exactly. The impact of our whole industry is negligible. How do you convey that to people? Because, you know, I just had this discussion yesterday with somebody, and it's pointless to even debate it because nobody seems to understand it truthfully. And, you know, it's the argument is. It's, it's skewed, unfortunately. Well, part of the thing is you have to understand where some people are coming from. They're simply suggesting that if there's any, even a potential, even a theoretical possibility of emissions, then obviously it has to be regulated. Uh, in many of the discussions I have, for example, with the Air Resources Board or with the cat people at the, at the EPA, uh, I say that the, the hot rods we're talking about are just, they're not driven very much. They're, you know, uh, they, they're, they're cars used on weekends and whatnot. And so they ask me for data on that. And I said, well, the best data I can think of is asking you how many hot rods you see on the way to work today. Then they start to get the 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 the, the thing I'm trying to get to, the and picture, that is right. these cars are sparingly used. They're kept in perfect condition. Everybody, all the car guys I know, spend most of their time keeping their cars in perfect condition, and they're not driven very much. All right, now uh, for the purposes of the show, we didn't really uh, go into this, but you're actually in Panama City, so you're in Florida, okay? I am, and so. Going back to California, which, by the way, is my home state, so I kind of understand some of the nonsense that's going on out there politically and stuff and with the missions and stuff. But let's just take the L.A. area, and they refer to it as the smog. And they say that the majority of that is contributed because of too many cars in the first place. What's your argument for that? Well, first of all, you ha- again, you have to look at the perspective. If you go back and look at pictures of the Los Angeles area – before we had all these cars, you'll find the same exact haze, the exact same uh, carbon footprint throughout that area. Okay. Uh, the Indians referred to it as the smoky area, and the reason is is that it's just, uh, one, you have a whole range of mountains, and everything that happens in that valley is pushed up against the mountains, and it sort of sits there. This is before you had mobile source and stationary sources of, of you know, potential pollution. So it's always been there. So the point is is that this is not something that is totally man-made. It was there before. Now, what happens is is that there are lots of, of sources of, of pollution. Obviously, stationary sources are one of the biggest ones. And, uh, and, and look at the, the freighters that come into the, to the L.A. harbor. Those things are major, major pollutants of, uh, of the air. So, and then, of course, you say, okay, fine, there are too many vehicles. And i got to tell you, Los Angeles is not thought well about traffic. I mean, the traffic out there is legend. <laughs> and there's just, it, it, there's, there, it's not like you have New York City where everybody starts way out here and they all come into the city and they all go back at night. Everybody moves in different directions. So the traffic is terrible, and there's no real potential solution for it. However, if you get down to that and you start looking at the at what needs to be done, at the very bottom of the list is a group of people who have cars, they drive on weekends, maintain them perfectly and drive very small small amounts of, of mileage, and that's us. Yep. We don't we don't contribute in any you can't measure the potential impact of our industry on ambient air quality. Can't be measured. Uh, I have to agree. Do you think that California laws, the way they're proceeding out there with uh, you know emissions and things of that nature, do you think that that would filter through the rest of the United States, or do you think that's pretty much just going to stay in California 
but it may or may not be the norm for the country. I think it actually is the norm, and the reason is almost everything that starts in California slowly but surely ends up in other states where you end up with a a very liberal group of people who are trying to have the biggest impact on on the economy by, you know, regulations and all the other things that are totally unnecessary. Where do they find that? Well, it's already been drafted for them in California. So many of the laws that you see in California are simply adopted in other jurisdictions all around the country, all around the country. And um, and so I think that's going to happen. And also, California pushes the EPA. The EPA is always a little bit behind um, California with regard to regulatory programs, although I'd have to tell you the current EPA has become extraordinarily aggressive in seeking to put businesses out of business. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they've established an art form of adopting, and of course the Supreme Court struck down a bunch of them, but... Um, if you want to see some really bizarre stuff, look at their cap-and-trade programs and that type of thing where essentially they limit how much pollution. Uh, for example, if you have a farm uh, and you have a cow farm, there are limits on how many cows you can have per acre because of the potential uh, effect upon ambient air quality. Yeah, are you referring to the cow fart tax by any chance? Is that what That I'm... would be it. <laughs> I, when I first heard that, I thought that was a joke. I first heard it when they were talking about up in uh, one of the Midwest states. And okay. then, I, then I heard California, and I thought only in California could that actually come to fruition. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's actually, uh, the, and you're right, California's involved, but EPA has proposed the same thing for the entire, entire country. That's incredible. Okay, let's digress for a second. Talk, I'm going to go back to the manufacturing thing. There's a company in Orlando that I read about here recently within the last year that's come to existence, and what they're doing, I think it's called Revology, and what they're doing is they basically have the blessings of Ford Motor Company, and they're basically remanufacturing or manufacturing 1965 Mustangs. Now, does that fall kind of in that category where you're talking about that limited, you know, manufacturers, they can kind of, if they put late model motors in, if they kind of comply with, you know, modern day safety standards, that they don't have to go through all the rigmarole that uh, a major manufacturer would, would have to deal with? Is that in the same, same league? We're actually working with them on our low-volume manufacturer legislation. See, the problem is is that if Ford has given them a license to build a Mustang, and I know exactly what you're talking about, and quite frankly, that fastback is just really, really cool. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that Ford, Ford doesn't have the authority to, uh, you know, to oops EPA and NHTSA out of the process. So the problem is, is that when they build, you know, a Mustang and put an engine in and all that sort of thing, they are no different than General Motors. They right. have to comply with all the same requirements. Therefore, they have to have that. They have to test that engine to determine what its emissions will be. The cost of that. I mean, we're talking about 100 miles, 100,000 miles testing. I mean, just ridiculous. And I mean, it can't be done. And of course, NHTSA, since it's a new vehicle, they have to go through all the new vehicle requirements, including crash testing, rollover testing, and everything else. So that's that particular type of pro- program you're talking about is exactly the type of program that we're building this legislation for. Okay. Now, Donicorn, which makes a lot of the bodies, Ford, Mustangs, Camaro, Chevelles. Uh, right. There's a company in Detroit, I think it's called, I can't think of the name of it, but they make the 57 Chevrolet bodies. And uh, so do they, all those companies kind of fall in that category, basically? Or what happens if I buy a Dynacorn body and I want to build the car myself? Does it? Do I go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, let's say here in Florida, and get a, what they call an ASPT, Assembled from Parts title? Or, and do I have to comply with any of this stuff, or how does that work? 
No, basically, if you do it yourself, now, again, California is a different situation, but okay. if you do it, and by the way, we have legislation that we've had introduced and passed throughout the United States, SEMA has, and, um, and basically you can build virtually any car that you want uh, as an individual. And by the way, theoretically, you are the manufacturer, and theoretically, you're, you are responsible for all the things that General Motors would be responsible for. But as a practical matter, no one's ever going to seek to enforce the, um, the Clean Air Act and the NHTSA laws against you. Uh, but certainly for someone who's producing these things uh, as a manufacturer, they would have that problem. So you can build your own, your own hot rod in virtually all the states. I'd say all the states except there might be one that is not the case. And in California, you can build one, but it has to be built with this uh, E-Rod engine. And, and by the way, um, we, have, we have talked with states where they're thinking about trying to regulate from an emissions standpoint who can build a car and what the car has to be when it's completed. And, and in those areas, we've tried to discourage any, any legislation. But to the extent that they're moving ahead, we show them that here's the E-Rod engine. If someone wants to, wants to build, a, uh, build a car and use the E-Rod engine, it'd be legal in California. And if it's legal in California, it's probably pretty much legal everywhere. Interesting. Now, were you instrumental in National Collector Car Holiday or Day? Was is is that a real deal? And is that actually something that's going to go through legislation? That there's no, a- it already has. It already has. We have it each year. Each year, we have a um, a resolution passed by the United States Congress dedicating a day for collector car appreciation. Okay. And we have activities in Washington where we get all the members of Congress and we take some cars up there and you know show the members of Congress and. By the way, many of whom are car guys. People don't realize that really? many of those are car guys, and um, and people that we've known, you know, even before they went to Congress. Uh, and then what happens is is that there are the same types of collector car appreciation day shows all around the country. Okay. And as a matter of fact, I, I uh, heard. Unfortunately, I was out of out of here this last weekend, but um, and I heard that the car club I'm a member of. Uh, didn't have the same program they normally have, and I was surprised. I just haven't had a chance to check and see if what I heard was correct. But what we do is, and this is, by the way, this is all SEMA. SEMA did the, does the whole thing. And what we do is we will send out to any club that is going to have uh, one of these uh, collector car appreciation day programs, we send them a copy of the, um, of the uh, Senate resolution uh, framed, which they can then put up in their, you know, where their club is and that type of thing, or somebody's oh, wow. shop. And so, um, and matter of fact, uh, last year I think it was I was at the one here in Panama City Beach, and uh, we took a whole bunch of pictures. And uh, not sure, I think I, I'm pretty sure I drove my '33 Ford three window coupe. Um, I'm sorry, that was um, that's the one I've got in California. It's a '33 Ford Roadster, and I think that's the one I took last year. Okay. I also have a 1939 Chrysler Royal Business Coupe that I was going to take this year, but I wasn't in town. Are you more of a uh, hot rodder at heart, sounds like? Well, I, it's sort of eclectic. I mean, I have a hot rod. My 33, um, my 33 Ford's got a Ford Racing Cobra, uh, you know, engine in it. Okay. Uh, and and I have I have that. But most of my other cars are sports cars, um, or like I say, the 1939 Chrysler. Um, but for example, I got a little uh, 1954 MGTD, which okay. I love. And 
and uh, got a little Porsche I bought new in 1977. Oh, really? A 911? A little 911. Okay. And Targa, black on black on black. And Good. And got a little uh, typical red with uh, tan interior Ferrari. And, uh, well, what model? Uh, 328 GTS. Okay, that's good. And then I've got, let me see, I've got a couple of race cars. One I've got here, one I've got up in West Virginia. Of course, I've got the race car up in uh, Salt Lake City. And um, what else is in Oh, we're building, I'm building right now an Austin Healey 100, oh. and, uh, which is a cool car. But um, I decided that rather than try to restore it to its original condition, I'd restore it for me which means I'm sticking um, a uh, LS3 engine and a B&M transmission in it, um, and we're just about to start putting all the panels back on, you know, for paint. So that should be a fun car. I wanted to ask you, too, um, you talked about salt flats earlier. Um, do you know Peter Vincent? I know who he is, yeah. Okay, yeah, he was the uh, one of the artists, or actually photographers, has done photography there for the last 25, 30 right. years. He was on my show last year, and we talked about that, and we did talk about you know the preservation aspect of it. Now, Speed Week, and I think we got a minute or two left, Speed Week for, for Bonneville is in August, isn't it, sometime? Yeah, there are actually three. One is in the first part of August. That's the biggest one. That's Speed Week. Then okay. they have in sept- actually it's late August, early September this year, which is called World of Speed, and then in October they have one called the World Finals. Okay. And but the big one is the one in August. Okay. Super. And um and so anybody who's out there, I'll be there and I'm easy to find. Um so just drop by, we'll show you our pit and we'll take you around and show you all the other cars. They're pretty interesting stuff there. Excellent. Well Russ, or, go ahead. Or if it, or if you happen to be in Ensenada uh, for the Baja 1000, come on, drop by and see me there. I'll be racing uh, in with Pistol Pete in the t- trophy truck. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, well, it sounds like a date. One of these days I'm going to have to do that. Russ, I want to thank you very much for coming on the radio show this evening. Could you do me a favor? Plug SEMA real quick. SEMA is a fabulous organization, and it's designed wholly for enthusiasts, and I'm one of them. Excellent. And if people want to find out more about it, they just go to SEMA.com. That's basically it? Uh, SEMA.org. 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 Okay. And you'll find more information you can possibly imagine. And, uh, and you know, look for the tapes on the SEMA show. It's just fabulous. Okay. And, and I want to have you on again sometime so we can talk a little bit more. In the meantime, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Russ Dean, General Counsel for SEMA. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and don't forget to tune in our radio show every Tuesday. 7 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. If you have any questions, you know where to find us. Take care, everybody. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Don't forget, July 10th. National Collector Car Appreciation Day. We finally have a day just for us car guys. So get out there, drive your hot rods, your cool cars, your race cars, your sports cars, all kinds of cars. Bring your wife, your kids, your family, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your pets, everybody, and have some fun driving your really neat little rides around. All right? Just want to mention that July 10th, National Collector Car Appreciation Day.